Forget Taylor Swift. The person of the year is Satan. In case you haven't noticed, the devil is really having a moment right now. He was everywhere in 2023. Just look at Lucifer's meteoric rise in the music industry this past year. Unlike our parents' generation, you don't have to play these songs backwards to glean the devilish theme. Let's start with the most egregious example first, Doja Cat. This is her before, and this is her now. She has covered herself with satanic tattoos, including a devil, demented elephant creature, stabbed eyeball, and skeleton with angel wings. She's put that on full display when she released her latest album, Scarlet, whose artwork was inspired by occult imagery. On the track Demons, she asks, how my demons look, while eerily dressed as one. In Paint the Town Red, Doja Cat raps, she's the devil, she's a bad little bitch, she's a rebel. In The Girls, she says, I'm yelling 666. Her tour advertisements are equally disturbing. Her Instagram is a digital shrine to the Prince of Darkness, from Red Devil Eyes to cover art for her singles. It's rather macabre. Chicago even displayed her wax figure on the Riverwalk. Now get a look at her MTV Music Awards performance where she performed Demons with blood-soaked backup dancers. The crowd was enraptured by it. Lucifer also reigned supreme at the Grammys this year during Sam Smith's performance of his song Unholy. Check out Lil Nas X's performance at Bonnaroo. He can be seen dancing with a Baal monument attached to his groin. Remember, this is the same guy who a few years earlier released shoes with pentagrams and human blood in the soles. Don't forget about self-admitted Satanist Little Uzi Vert. He performed at the Rolling Loud Music Festival this year, brandishing pentagrams on his belt. And don't miss those opaque eyes and strange movements that left many online asking if he was performing some sort of satanic ritual or becoming possessed by a demon live on stage. Demi Lovato started off her year with the UK banning the poster of her album Holy that has her lying on a cross in bondage clothing. A song she released later in 2023 called Swine references the Bible as she roams around looking rather demonic. The Weeknd has been accused of performing strange and demonic occult rituals at his concert. In fact, the screen behind him even flashes the word Satan while he's performing. Lana Del Rey, who was open about her practice of witchcraft and even using it against Trump, had a strange event happen at her concert in Mexico City recently. Suddenly, concert goers were knocked down, starting at the stage and then continuing back like a wave. Even Taylor Swift has had some weird witchcraft-like shenanigans going on at her Eras Tour concerts. Take a look. But Satan isn't just saturating the music industry. No, he's invading everyday life. A demon summoning event for children was held at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis this past summer. 
The event was described as a playful ceremony to summon and befriend their demon. Kids were invited to partake in an activity titled How to Trap a Demon, which involved designing, quote, a vessel for holding the demon you know best. The description for this activity starts off by saying, quote, demons have a bad reputation, but maybe we're just not very good at getting to know them. Afterwards, families could watch artist Tamar Toon host a playful demon summoning session, one that is, quote, designed to help you befriend your shadows. After you take your kids for a demon summoning, you should sign them up for an after-school Satan club. These clubs are supported by the Satanic Temple, which boasts of more than 700,000 members. The temple claims the clubs are launched at public schools in response to other religious clubs that are operating. The temple says that proselytization is not our goal, and we're not interested in converting children to Satanism. Instead, they prefer to give children an appreciation of the natural wonders surrounding them, not a fear of everlasting otherworldly horrors. These clubs aren't just popping up in places like California or New York, though. Nope. One was opened in Memphis and another in Chesapeake, Virginia this year. After a successful legal battle, another one opened in Pennsylvania. It's not that we need to prevent Satan clubs legally. We shouldn't. That's what the First Amendment protects. However, when are we going to ask ourselves why this is becoming acceptable in society? How does the Temple of Satan have 700,000 members and operate children's clubs? It's a sign of collective moral decay in the United States. It's also a grand display of licentiousness. If Satan in school isn't enough, how about clothing? Remember when Target was forced to sack the designer making their pride clothing? Well, the part of that story you might have missed is that the designer also sold satanic items, things that said Satan respects pronouns. Now, those weren't sold at Target, but you got to wonder how desensitized to Satan we are as a society that a mainstream company would partner with someone dressed in underwear, wearing devil horns, and wearing their self-designed satanic shirt. Of all the great designers out there, this is the one that got a deal with a Fortune 500 company? If you aren't into the satanic music scene, signing your kid up for a Satan club, going to a demon summoning, or buying some satanic clothing, maybe you'd be in the mood for some light reading. Go read Cosmo's article about how to have a satanic abortion. It details the satanic temple's new telehealth venture that provides abortion pills through the mail. Patients can partake in an optional ritual if they want, which is laid bare for readers. It details the ritual's instructions on what to recite after taking the medication. This isn't just some article letting you know what's out there. It's embellished with call-out quotes that have T's in the shape of upside-down crucifixes, a phone with only the number 6 on the keypad, an iPhone with devil horns and a tail, and, of course, a winky-faced devil. Now, don't bring all of this up to start some sort of satanic panic like in the 80s. No, because panic doesn't solve anything. And this isn't about controlling someone or dictating what they should or shouldn't do. That's Ron DeSantis's job. My question is this. What happens to a society that openly embraces, worships, celebrates, and entertains themselves with the devil? Is it sustainable? Can America's great experiment of self-government continue as cultural norms and morals degrade? Let me leave you with a quote from George Washington. Arbitrary power is most easily established on the ruins of liberty abused to licentiousness.
One of the strangest stories to come out this year that you probably didn't hear about links Mike Huckabee to the Covenant School tragedy as well as a pedophile. It centers around a man named John Perry. He was the co-author of not one, but two of Huckabee's books. Perry also helped write The Vow, which became a movie. The Covenant School was a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church. John Perry served at that church. In 2012, police investigated Perry for molesting a girl for three years, starting when she was just 11 years old. They found that the allegations, quote, were sustained. However, Perry was not charged because the statute of limitations had passed. The church became aware of the abuse sometime between 2008 and 2010. In 2008, Perry resigned as a deacon. According to minutes from a church meeting in 2010, Perry was excommunicated after, quote, he confessed to committing heinous and repetitive sin and has not shown evidence of repentance. Using these minutes, a parishioner of the church filed a lawsuit claiming the church tried to cover up the abuse. Perry's wife filed for divorce, claiming inappropriate marital misconduct, saying that he admitted to sexual abuse of a child to her. Now consider the timeline of all of this. The assailant at the Covenant School tragedy was 28-year-old Audrey Hill. We know that she attended that school at one point in her life. The victim of the molestation made her allegations in 2012 when she was 18 years old. Audrey Hill would have been about 17 years old at the time. Being that they were of similar age, did they attend school at the same time? Did they know each other? Were they friends? Could Audrey have known about the molestation? Was Audrey herself molested? Was there a cover-up by the church, and if so, could the abuse have been more widespread in the church or possibly have spilled over into the school? Let me know what you think in the comments. Now, on a side note, what is up with Mike Huckabee? John Perry helped write Huckabee's 2009 book, ironically called Do the Right Thing. This would have been just after he resigned from the church and just before he was excommunicated for heinous and repetitive sin. Did Huckabee know about the abuse and have him write his book anyway? And just in case you're counting, this makes the second pedophile in Huckabee's circle. Remember Josh Duggar? U.S.-made weapons are not only being used in the Israel-Hamas war, but are now showing up in places outside of Gaza. Three 155-millimeter artillery shells were found in a Lebanese village along the border, according to the Washington Post. Production codes on these shells indicate that they were made more than 30 years ago from ammunition depots in Louisiana and Arkansas. These weapons were used in a white phosphorus attack back in October. It incinerated at least four homes and infused nine people. White phosphorus burns at incredibly high temperatures and sticks to the skin. Israel claims they complied with international law, using it for smokescreens and not for targeting. However, the white phosphorus was used at night when a smokescreen wasn't needed. There were also no Israeli troops on the Lebanese border, so masking wasn't needed. As Israel expands its attacks against Hamas in Gaza to Hezbollah in Lebanon, many fear this conflict may escalate to a regional war. With American-made weapons being used, it could pull the U.S. into yet another messy and violent Middle Eastern conflict. Customs and Border Protection recorded the largest single-day illegal migrant encounter ever on December 5th. More than 12,000 migrant encounters were reported along the U.S.-Mexico border, more than 10,000 of them between ports of entry. This year alone, more than 2.4 million migrants have crossed the border, the highest year ever recorded. But they aren't just staying at the border. A warehouse of more than 2,700 migrants was recently uncovered by Real America's Voice 
out in Chicago. While these conditions are inhumane, they are receiving ample financial aid. The city is providing up to $9,000 in rental assistance over a six-month period. This will include moving assistance and a starter kit to furnish their new home. Etsy has faced criticism for allowing a shop to sell overpriced, downloadable images of kids eating pizza, with some alleging it could be linked to child trafficking. The pictures cost anywhere from $3,000 to $14,000. Another questionable listing was selling children's overalls for more than $35,000. Once discovered, the listings almost immediately vanished. The United States is no longer a maritime superpower. America has less than 180 flagged cargo carriers compared to China's more than 7,000. If we entered a war, the U.S. could access only around 160 additional carriers from all sources. This vulnerability could have dire consequences in the event of a major war. America has been circling the drain on this issue for more than 60 years. Since 1953, the number of shipyards capable of building large military and commercial vessels shrunk from 30 down to 6, and their annual output dropped from 60 to just 7. This has become a matter of urgent national security. U.S. Navy Secretary Del Toro is calling for U.S. maritime statecraft. He wants one that, quote, encompasses not only naval diplomacy, but a national whole-of-government effort to build comprehensive U.S. and allied maritime power, both commercial and naval. Del Toro wants to bring back Reagan-era subsidies that would incentivize the private sector to buy ships from U.S. builders in the event of a national security crisis. Lab-grown meat got the green light this past summer. The USDA granted its first-ever approval to produce cell-cultured meat to two companies, Upside Foods and Good Meat. Just two countries have approved cultivated meat for human consumption, the United States and Singapore. The global lab-grown meat market is expected to top nearly $2 billion by 2035. Worldwide, there are 16 cultivated meat companies, including five based right here in the United States. Prior to the USDA, the Food and Drug Administration gave their first food safety approval to Upside Foods, of which Bill Gates is a major investor. This approval was based on the company's self-assessment of its processes and risk management practices. They will begin selling cultivated chicken, which takes about three weeks to grow and is made up of more than 99% chicken cells. Illinois is considering a bill that would require blood donations to be labeled if the donor received the COVID-19 vaccine. HB 4243 would require blood banks to test the blood for evidence of COVID-19 and other mRNA components, including lipid nanoparticles and spike proteins. Individuals would have to disclose at each donation whether they have received a COVID-19 vaccine or mRNA vaccine at any point in their life. This bill does not criminalize anything. Instead, it asserts a patient's right to informed consent. There is no waiting period after a COVID-19 vaccine currently, according to the Red Cross. The Association for the Advancement of Blood and Biotherapies, America's Blood Centers, and the American Red Cross claim the COVID-19 vaccines do not pose a risk to blood donation recipients. They say there is, quote, no medical reason to distinguish or separate blood donations from individuals who have received a COVID-19 vaccination. The FDA also says there is no evidence that vaccinated blood is unsafe. From Hill to House. Democrats have combined all the gun control bills in Congress into one comprehensive piece of legislation. 
The Gun Violence Prevention and Community Safety Act of 2023 has been introduced each congressional session since 2015. The bill would have draconian effects on firearm ownership. If passed, it would do the following. Nullify current laws and establish stricter gun regulations. It would require a federal or state-issued license to purchase or own a firearm or ammunition. Universal background checks would be required. It would eliminate the so-called Charleston loophole by requiring a completed background check before a sale's completion. The gun show loophole would also be eliminated, which allows private sales without background checks. It'll increase the age for buying a firearm or ammo from 18 to 21 and require a seven-day waiting period on all firearm sales. Individuals would be required to use a locking device or secure storage when the gun is not in use. The bill would expand the Gun-Free School Zones Act to colleges and universities. Homemade firearms would be prohibited. Certain semi-automatic rifles and so-called assault weapons would be banned. The bill would fund a buyback program. The legislation would make it easier to sue gun manufacturers for the misuse of their products by criminals. The authority of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives would increase as the legislation calls for the hiring of 650 new ATF agents to inspect gun stores, and it would also establish an electronic database of ATF records. A 30% tax on all firearm sales and a 50% tax on all ammunition sales would be imposed. These taxes would fund $120 million and be split between the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the U.S. Department of Justice to pay for research into gun violence. This bill was reintroduced into the Senate by Elizabeth Warren and has been sponsored by Representative Hank Johnson in the House. The U.S. is running low on some high-end weapon systems and ammunition, according to what three U.S. officials told CNN. One said that certain stockpiles are dwindling and that there's a finite amount of excess stock available if we were to need it. The U.S. Air Forces in Europe has said that the stockpile of U.S. weapons and those of allies are getting dangerously low. Every time we send emergency military assistance to Ukraine, it comes directly from Pentagon stocks. This in turn sends us scraping weapons out of our global stockpile. Of particular concern is 155-millimeter shells. In fact, South Korea has reportedly agreed to lend the U.S. a half million shells, this coming after we purchased 100,000 shells from them in the previous year. Don't believe me? Senior U.S. officials, the media, or the Pentagon? President Biden came out and said it himself that we are running low on ammo in an interview with Fareed Zakaria on CNN. Take a listen. Uh, the ammunition, uh, they, they call them 155-millimeter weapons. This is, a, this is a war relating to munitions and uh, the running out of those, that ammunition, and we're low on it. Add these ammunition shortages to the fact that we have the smallest military in over 80 years. Also consider that every military branch, except the Space Force, missed their recruitment goals. We now have less than 1.3 million active service members. So ask yourself, what happens if we get drug into the Israel-Hamas war? Will we have enough weapons or people to defend ourselves? And if not, what happens to the United States? Your waiters, we're about to dive deep into the swamp, the creatures that live in it, and their salacious shenanigans for this week's party line. We're having party line trouble. When it comes to salacious, gossipy tales from politics, which one should be the winner of the year? Is it the Moms for Liberty scandal that involved a menage a trois and a rape allegation? Is it Lauren Boebert jerking off her boyfriend in a public theater? Is it Hunter Biden's mounting legal issues and his crazed press conference that he gave? 
Is it the near fistfight that broke out in the halls of Congress? Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Big oh, hold, stop it. Is that your Sorry. solution? Every or is it the not one, but two gay sex tapes that leaked that were filmed in the halls of Congress? Well, the winner of the best gossip of the year would have to be George Santos, everyone's friendly villain. Sure, George Santos is a fraud and a crook and a liar and deserved to be expelled. But he might bring us our only source of political happiness in the coming year since we have an election coming up. I sure hope he unloads on all of his colleagues in the House. And it looks like from this recent interview with Zeewee, he might have already started. I was there to expose the rot and corruption, and I did. And I'm going to continue to do it. Republicans and Democrats alike. Swampy, slimy people selling this country down a river. Who else in Congress is committing fraud? They're all frauds. Name them. If you, if you, were, to, if you were to put me... Name them. If you were to put them Name all him. under the same scrutiny I was put under, mm. you'd vacate the whole goddamn building. Can I name them and you just wink if Go I... Go ahead! Marjorie Taylor Greene. No. Kevin McCarthy. Yes. Lindsey Graham. Yes. Matt Gates. No. Bob Menendez. Absolutely. Goldbar Menendez. Dan Goldman. He doesn't pay his rent. Dan Good... Dan... Dan is owing $180,000 worth of rent right now on his $45,000 monthly rent, which is what most Americans make a year. You let that shit sink in. The way you know everyone's business is humbling to me. They said what? For the first time in U.S. history, the Speaker of the House was expelled, Kevin McCarthy. He was replaced by this guy, Representative Mike Johnson. One of the skeletons in his closet is his financial disclosures, which show that since 2016, he's not reported any assets or any bank accounts. This made for a weird interview on Fox News when he was asked about this. Watches Johnson hedges and doesn't ever specifically address why he doesn't even have a bank account and instead makes it some sort of folksy, I'm like you because I have no money little soundbite. Take a listen. No, but I have to ask you this because there's been so much made about it. Vanity Fair says this. What's up with Mike Johnson's very shady seeming financial disclosures? They say you've never reported a bank account or an asset on a financial disclosure form going back to 2016. Can you clear that up for us? Yes, look, I'm a man of modest means, okay? I was a lawyer, but I did constitutional law, and most of my career I spent in the nonprofit sector. We have four kids, five now, that are very active, and I have kids in, in graduate school, law school, undergraduate. Um, we have a lot of expenses, but I can relate to everybody else. My father was a firefighter, right? Um, I didn't grow up with great means, but um, I think that helps us be a better leader because we can relate to every hardworking American family. That's wow. who we are, and yeah. I think it governs and helps govern and my decisions and how I lead. Pussies and Patriots. This year's pussy is Ron DeSantis. His presidential campaign announcement flopped on Twitter. When his culture war crusade against Disney failed, he claimed that he moved on. His campaign is so misguided that he debated a man who isn't even running for president, Gavin Newsom, who, by the way, cleaned his clock on Fox News. DeSantis is accused of illegally coordinating with a super PAC. DeSantis was also forced to lay off a third of his campaign staff in order to reset his campaign. He's so insecure that it appears he's wearing shoe lifts to look taller. 
Trump has more than 50 points over him in national polls. And just a couple weeks from the Iowa caucus, DeSantis is lagging by more than 30 points behind Trump. Worst of all, Ron DeSantis is phony, fake, slimy, disingenuous, and a backstabber who can't even smile. I mean, look at that face. Do you want to see that for four years? This week's patriot is Ron Paul. His warning more than a decade ago on Hamas is spot on, laying out the case for why the U.S. intervening in other countries is dangerous to our own national security interests. Take a listen. If you look at the history, you'll find out that Hamas was encouraged and really started by Israel because they wanted Hamas to counteract Yasser Arafat. And you say, well, yeah, that was better then and served its purpose, but we didn't want Hamas to do this. So then we as Americans say, well, we have such a good system. We're going to impose this on the world. We're going to invade Iraq and teach people how to be Democrats. We want free elections. So we encourage the Palestinians to have a free election. They do, and they elect Hamas. So we first indirectly and directly through Israel help establish Hamas. Then we have election. Then Hamas becomes dominant, so we have to kill them. You know, it it just doesn't make sense. During during the 80s, uh, you know, we were allied with Osama bin Laden. And uh, we were contending with the Soviets. It was at that time our CAA thought it was good if we radicalized the Muslim world. So we financed the madrasa schools to radicalize the Muslims in order to compete with with the Soviets. And finally, numbers you need to know. Here's another thing the media isn't talking about. For the age group 16 to 64, each rise in excess of deaths seems to be accompanied by a multiplier of about four in increased disabilities. The rise in disabilities for the same age group who are in the labor force is larger in women, standing at a little over 36%, where it's just 15% in men. So what's causing all this increase in disability? Let me know what you think in the comments. Now that you know where we've been, find out where we're going. Tune in to Ladies Love Politics, where you can stay informed without going insane.